Welcome to this new episode of Toastmaster Minds. My name is Joan Carbonell and this is a podcast where we are going to meet people who like to learn and grow day by day. We have something very specific that unites us. We are interested in one way or another in public speaking, and this has led us to meeting our Toastmasters Club in Mallorca, Mallorca Warsmiths. But we are not going to dedicate ourselves exclusively to public speaking and the club. In these episodes, we want to get to know the people who make up the club better, share with each other a bit more about our personal and professional interests, and who knows, maybe discover other ways of collaborating to create something more. And today, we have as our guest on this program, uh, Sheila Mamilan. Hi, Sheila. Hi, Joan. Hi, nice to have you here. Thank you for inviting me. <laughs> so the first question is uh, who you are and what do you do? My name is Sheila McMillan. As you've just said, I was born in Scotland and it's a bit of a long story how I ended up here in Mallorca and I'm a business English language teacher. Business English. So is teacher, but just in the business environment? Not exactly. People often ask me, what's the difference between business English and general English? General English is teaching you how to speak English, but it's not specifically, um, or should I say business English is general English plus things specific to business like finance human resources, conflict, problem solving, the things that you need to be able to do to work in an office, like presentations, telephone calls. General English has all these things, but they're not, it's not so much attached to topics. So it would be more general, like how you do shopping, how you can travel abroad, that kind of thing. So business English is general English plus points specific to to being in business. And who do you work with? Are you contracted by companies or by individuals that want to improve how they um, do their business? Yes, I'm autonomous. So I deal directly with my own private classes, which may be general or may be business. And I'm also, I also teach in companies and I'm also subtracted by other teaching companies. So for instance, uh, people that have offices in Barcelona or Madrid, uh, they don't necessarily have anyone or have an office in Mallorca. So they might ask me to do the teaching on their behalf. Perfect. Seems interesting. And how long have you been doing that? Probably about 12 years. 12 years, okay. And for sure you are the most senior member in our club now and you have um, a lot of information about the story of Mallorca Warsmith that could be interesting for new members or even for people that is not being a member at, at the club. The club was founded in 2002? In November 2002, and I joined in February 2003. Not from the beginning, and how has the, the club evolved during all these years? 
Well, like every other club, it's had its ups and downs, but more we've had more ups than we've had downs. We've reached uh, 40 members on several occasions. 40 is about the um, optimum membership that a club can handle easily, gives everybody a chance to speak. It doesn't uh, labour people having to do the same role over and over again or always to be taking part. It gives you a bit more freedom. If you have many more than 40 members, it is recommended that you split into a new club. Now, we've had, over the years, we've had three clubs start up here in Mallorca, apart from ourselves, and they've never lasted. I don't know what it is about Mallorca wordsmiths, uh, but we have lasted where other attempts have, have not. Yeah, in, uh, in fact, I remember that probably in the first years I was in the club, probably seven or eight years ago, um, the club was close to 50 members. And we had to cancel having more new members because it was a problem because we had at some moments even to have like five speeches per session yes. and it was <laughs> yeah. impossible to manage that so that people could participate. That, that's why 40 is regarded as the optimum number of members. But the very mm. sad thing is, is when people leave the original club, such as ours, to go off and open new clubs, if these new clubs don't uh, su succeed, members don't come back. Mm. Now, that's, that's what I find very sad. They leave. Um, not because they don't like the way that we run our club, but perhaps, for instance, there was um, well, a member, I can't remember his name, he decided he wanted to open a Spanish club. We mm -hmm. thought, great, because at that time we were all only English-speaking club. So he decided to open a Spanish club. Unfortunately, nobody came back after the summer holidays. Um, another member try to open a bilingual, a truly bilingual club. That mm -hmm. meant at lunchtime. I don't know if that was the problem, but that didn't last. And then finally, there was the Bendinat Club, which for many years, Diane Oatley was the vice president. And if anyone deserves a medal for trying to keep a club open, she deserved that. But at the end, at the end of the day, that also folded. I think in that case, one of the reasons was they did not have a consistent meeting room. And that's very important that people know where they're going to be able to meet regardless. They don't have to phone up and check, where are we meeting today? Where are we meeting? Uh, sometimes we have to do that in the hotel, but at least we know that it will be somewhere in the Amic Horizonte. So having a good place is, is a strong point uh, for a club. So we're very lucky. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I've always been at Hotel Orifonte. Mm -hmm. uh, I haven't seen any other uh, base camp, uh, but it's it's a good point for me. It's yeah. having uh, where to go and not having to well, when... think every week uh, what needs yeah. done or where. Yeah. That's really important. Yeah. It is important. And the other, we, when we first opened, it was in the country club out in Santa Ponsa. You had to have your own transport to get there. Then yeah. when that closed down and we moved to Samasea, a restaurant which is also closed now, but at the time it was Samasea out in Costa 
de la Cama. Yeah. Again, you needed to have public transport. So being here in the Amic is just perfect because people that don't have cars, especially visitors, can just get here so easily. Bus takes you right outside the door. And the club originally was just English speaking. Yes, it was. It was. Um, I remember when I was invited to go to the meeting by two friends. Um, they spoke to me about this public speaking club and I'm going, oh, public speaking, I don't really need to do that. I don't really want to do that. I don't need to do it. That was my first thought. I don't really want to. Uh, but then they said, oh, well, we meet we meet in a bar. And I went, oh, you meet in a bar? Oh, well, maybe I'll join up. <laughs> and I swear if they had been just going to a normal meeting room, I probably would never have joined. But at that time, it was very it was much more social than it is now. We met in the bar before the start of the meetings and we all met in the bar after the meetings. Um, and it was much more social than it is now. Okay, that's that's a good point. In fact, for example, in, in a past interview, um, Alejandra was mentioning that uh, she first attended because she wanted to search some place to meet with more people not exactly about, interested about public speaking. Uh, so this this is something that is important. It's a good complement, uh, having the part of networking plus learning plus leadership, public speaking. That I think that's what's difficult to repeat and create a new club could be the reason why uh, they are difficult to, to launch or survive later. Yeah, I, I've never really understood that because the three people that opened, um, Diane didn't open the club in Bendinat, but she certainly ran it and kept it going long past its, but everyone else would have given up. So they were committed Toastmasters, they were committed to the idea of Toastmasters. So why this one club has survived all this time, we're not doing anything different from anybody else. Uh, because Toastmasters, in many ways, is, is a bit like running a Toastmaster club is like a bit like a franchise. I mean, mm -hmm. probably people are going, what? But you think of McDonald's. Why is McDonald's one of the most successful franchises in the world? Because everybody more or less follows the same pattern, yeah. uh, which is what we do in our club. And if you stray too far away, then you then stop becoming a Toastmasters club. The, the, the idea behind Toastmasters is you can go into any meeting in the world. Suppose there was no, uh, no visual signs that it was a Toastmasters club. Within five minutes of it starting, you would know you were in a Toastmasters club. And I urge people whenever they go anywhere to go, there's clubs all over the world, they welcome you with open arms. If you're abroad anywhere, on holiday, on business, go and visit another club. You pick up the idea, the strength behind Toastmasters, and each club has its own little thing that they do that makes it a little bit different. Uh, so you pick up ideas and you bring them back to our club. You go, oh, do you know they do this in such and such a club? And you go, yeah, we'll try that. Uh, I dread the day that somebody comes back and says, oh, they do poetry reading in our club or in that club. And go, oh, no, no, don't do that, don't do that. My no. personal hatred being, well, not hatred, but I'm not very fond of poetry. Okay, yeah, great. 
Uh, yeah, really, at our club, we used to have guests that come from other clubs in, in Spain and also from north of Europe, usually. And that's interesting to have their view because we are the only club in, in Mallorca, so it's difficult to to get feedback uh, from different points of view, like the one yeah. we have. If you are in a city like Barcelona, for example, where it's quite easy to once every three months go and visit a different club. This is why I think it's important that we push things like the area contest, which we actually we are hosting next mm-hmm. Saturday, uh, is to because we are isolated and a lot of new members uh, don't realise that they're part of a bigger worldwide thing. You know, yeah. they think it's Mallorca wordsmith, and they think that's it, and it's not. And that's why I'm delighted that we're hosting. We will have some people from Barcelona. There's some people coming from Andalusia, which is definitely not in our area, but hey, doesn't matter. The more mm-hmm. the merrier. And yeah. so people in our club can get to see that they belong. They're a part of a much larger organization. And and you have a lot of experience, uh, not just uh, running the club or taking part in the club, but also in the committee. Uh, in, at this moment, you are the president and also the vice president of education. And I cannot believe how you can manage all that. But also in the past, you have been uh, taking roles at area level or upper levels. What's your experience about that? I've been area director twice. Mm-hmm. Um, the last time was in 17, 1917, 1918, and I can't, and the other one was about 10 years before that. Well, the thing is about Toastmasters is when you join Toastmasters, you have responsibilities. It's not just you come to a meeting and you take away things for yourself. You have to give as well. We don't have any teachers. We have no employees. We're all volunteers. So you can't just take all the time. You have to, in my opinion, you have to give something back. And my way of doing that was being area director. So each club, every club is a member of an area and usually areas have four clubs in them. Mm-hmm. And so you organize the contest. We used to have two contests a year. Now it's down to, to one. You help their VPs of education. They help your pre- they, you help their presidents. You used to do the club training, but that's that's changed now. Uh, in a way that I don't think is necessarily um, for the better, they've instituted something called TLI, which is, um, can I remember what TLI is? Uh, Toastmasters Leadership Initiative or something like that. But we're executive, every club is run by an executive committee of seven people. And... So that makes a team and teams work together. And how they do the training now is they put all the presidents in one room, all the VPs in another, all the secretaries in another, and they teach them or train them in that job. But to me, that doesn't really help because it means that a secretary doesn't know what the finance, the treasurer has to do. And we all have to step in for each other. So I, I think, I do not like the way that they do the training that I think it should be done as a as a group. 
but that's that's what you do as an area director and mm -hmm. then you could become the next level up is division yeah. uh, director which is you look after all the clubs in your division which could be up to i don't know 15 or something and then the next level after that is district level which is the whole country area so for instance it used to be district 59 was all of europe and then it's gradually over the years as Toastmasters has grown, it has split up and we're now in District 107, which is Spain, Portugal, Andorra and Morocco. Mm -hmm. And again, by going to, by having these area division or district contests, we all get to know each other and mix and mingle, which is lovely. And you get to meet old friends because sometimes you maybe only see them once or twice a year. Oh, how are you doing? Oh, you've reached this level. Oh, you're doing this. That's great. So it's really enjoyable. It can be a, sometimes a bit hard work, but it it is enjoyable. Mm. Okay. Uh, I would like to add that um, the committee is probably uh, another interesting tool that we have at uh, Toastmasters at our clubs. It's not just uh, something that you must do to run the club, but also it's a way to learn a lot of things for yourself. So I've been in the past sergeant at arms, vice president of education, president, past president. Now I'm vice president of public relations. And every time I'm doing a thing, I try to do something new because I know I can learn a lot of things that later I can apply in my professional or personal life. So it's, it's something that's really interesting. And probably a lot of people, when they join, they are not aware of these other tools like mentoring or things like that, that the um, Toastmasters offers to you as a yeah. learning tool. Yeah, this is why I I think it's so important when <clears throat> when you open or when you fill in the membership form on the back, it, it explains a little bit of what you have to give in order to be a Toastmaster. So for instance, there's a famous Toastmasters promise in which you promise that at one point in your Toastmaster life, you will be part of the executive, executive committee when asked to be. Because a club needs, it's like a business in that respect. It needs a committee. It, think of a committee as a board of directors, if you want, and everybody has to work work hard at it and the thing is the more we share that out the more people learn the more interesting the club comes to be to newer members as you say covid uh, covid was really much more damaging than just us not being able to have face-to-face -face meetings it's almost kind of like put us in isolation so we're mm -hmm. not even thinking of the wider aspects of Toastmasters because we've been shut off for the best part of two years. So it's nice to see things opening up face to face again and people coming out of their shells, even though it's not the shells, personal shells, it's the shell of COVID. Yeah, I've been I've been everything on the committee too, except I have never been public relations and I've never been membership secretary. And funny enough, this time when I joined the club, it was as membership secretary. But then after our first meeting, the person that was supposed to be president resigned. And it was like, 
<laughs> oh dear, somebody's got to do it. Everybody looked at me and I went, oh yeah, okay. But this is the last time. This is the really last time. Surprise, surprise. <laughs> yeah. Because actually one of the things that really attracted to, to me to Toastmasters in the first place was, I don't know how clubs are here, but in the UK, they certainly used to be like little personal fiefdoms. So you'd have a tennis club or a pub club, pub quiz, mm -hmm. football club. And eventually a little clique of people would get on the committee and they'd stay there. They'd be kind of lifelong committee members and they would then run the club how they wanted to run it for the benefit more of their friends. I'm not saying every club was like that, but there was a lot of them like that. And one of the things that I really liked about Toastmasters was that that supposedly couldn't happen, that every year somebody, we had a new committee, every year people had to change and take their responsibility, their, what I call their give back to the club. Um, but I didn't realise that actual, in actual fact, it can become a little self-serving, maybe self-serving is not the right one, um, not the right word, but you could stay on the committee by default because nobody else volunteered, which is why for eight years I was on the committee in one way or another. And three of us used to change, used to, literally used to swap round the top two or three positions, president, vice president of education, whatever. And it was because we, we said, oh, well, if nobody volunteers, oh, I'll do it again. And everybody's going, yeah, yeah, that's great. It took me eight years to realize that as long as I said I would do it, nobody else, you know, because it is time consuming being um, on the executive committee. You do have to do a bit of work. So yeah. if somebody else will do it, then people are, but that's not fair. It's not the fear on people that consistently step forward. It's not fair on the new members because they're not. We're not giving them the opportunity to learn. It's a bit like the the area contest now. I'm saying, Joanne, you and I have to step back. We have to let them get on with it. And the rest are going, oh, but you know how to do it. Yes, I know how to do it. Joanne knows how to do it. We could do it in our sleep, but it's not good for you because what happens when we leave the club, for whatever reason might get knocked over by a bus. You might be offered a fabulous job in Madrid. We, we're not going to stay here forever. And it's not, and we need people to grow and fill in and get the benefit of being a leader. I agree totally with you. Uh, that the point here is I, I come to the meetings to learn and to have fun, of course, and yeah. to meet with people and uh, but learning is really important, so I try to do whatever puts me out of my comfort zone. So if I'm doing uh, the things that I'm good at, probably I'm not learning anything. Probably I could do best things for the club if I was in other technical aspects and not in public relations, that probably there are people that are more uh, expert than me, but this is the way how I learn, by doing things that are not what usually I do. So that's great. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Any other thing that you would share, like to share about club or? Um, oh, one thing is that for many years, certainly from when I joined to up to 
I don't know, when did they make the change? Four or five years ago. It used to be known as the Toastmasters Speaking Club. Now, in the UK and in English-speaking people here, especially at the beginning, Toastmasters has a completely different name, a completely different image. You think of a Toastmaster as somebody who's at a wedding making... Mm-hmm. introducing the speakers, introducing the toast. So there was quite a lot of resistance to the idea that it was Toastmasters and a speaking club. And I can't remember how many years ago, they kind of dropped the focus on being speaking, a speaking club, and making it more into a leadership club. And I think this is an important point because if if you join a club that you think it's just for speaking, then that's what you're going to concentrate on. And that's more what you would do would be making speeches and not really thinking of improving your leadership skills. And then in that tends to make you more prone to leaving the others to run the club. So you're not, as you say, you're not testing your... Um, comfort zone you're not challenging oh I don't want to be a leader I don't need to be a leader yeah but everybody somebody has to lead yeah. a leader club and it shouldn't always be left to the same people all the time so mm-hmm. I think it's important that we emphasize that these days it's more of a leadership mm-hmm. um, because what is it somebody famous said I can't remember who it was but he's quoted often in Toastmasters uh, you can be a being a great speaker does not necessarily make you a great leader. Mm-hmm. Uh, and most leaders lead and not necessarily by being good speakers. So I think the emphasis has changed more from speaking to, to leadership. Yeah, uh, and I think it's a great tool to do both things, but especially, for example, uh, I probably do very few speeches during the year but I love to take roles to do evaluations that is kind of giving feedback to the people and that's very useful outside of Toastmasters for whatever I do at professional or personal level. So that's a great way to, to do those things. Probably you could speak a lot about the story about the club and about the Toastmasters philosophy. Uh, I wanted to go back to the your profession and what you are really doing. And I have a, a question for you. Is how do you put up with those terrible students that are not able to learn how to pronounce the past tense correctly? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, the thing is, is that in the mechanical I- ideal of speaking, you can't, there isn't anything that you can't learn to do. Some words may be more difficult, somewhere, but you can learn, but you have, one has to appreciate that one has to practice. A lot of my students, um, especially the younger ones, uh, they they don't want to do homework. And a lot of homework is that gives you the opportunity to actually really consolidate what you've learned in class. That's so the homework that you're given is to do with the lesson that you have just learned. And I think it's getting people to understand that learning a language is a bit like building a house. Well, it's actually a bit like making a speech, too. Mm-hmm. You have to have your foundations. Your foundations are your grammar. Yeah, grammar is boring. 
but it's a very necessary component of any language, English and Spanish and Chinese and whatever. That's your foundations. What I find with some young people is, say we're doing a grammar lesson, say we're doing the past tense. Okay, I've learned that. Uh Yeah, I could do the past tense. But then a few weeks later, something comes up and they, they go, we haven't done this because I've maybe named it slightly differently. I've maybe made it the past um, the past continuous. And they think, oh, we haven't done this. Yeah, you did. They don't seem to realize that you don't learn something and put it aside. You learn something you, and you incorporate into your language. And that's what homework does. So people that don't do homework, I get students that don't even open a book from one one lesson to another. And sometimes I make a joke of it. I say, you know, I don't have a magic wand. I wish I did. I wish yeah. I could go abracadabra and you know all the irregular past tenses. I said, but I can't. Okay. This is why just lately I've been pondering whether I should change my what I do from being a business English teacher to a business English coach. Because just like in Toastmasters, you need to, you should, or you're encouraged to take part in being part of the process of running a club. I feel that very much about, about English. I can't, I can't teach you English unless you want to learn. It's a two-way system. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's give and take on both sides. And I'm very strong, as you might have noticed, on pronunciation. And this is from my efforts to speak Spanish. Because sometimes I know I am using the right word. I can see it in my head. I've got it perfectly written. I know it's the right word to be using in the situation. And Spanish people don't understand me. So sometimes when I'm in class, I deliberately mispronounce something in Spanish. And when the students are full of laughter, I go, right, now that's the reaction you will get when you pronounce an English word. Mm -hmm. I use my Spanish, my experience of trying to learn Spanish uh, to, to show them how important certain things are. You don't understand me when I mispronounce a Spanish word. It works the other way around. So if you mispronounce an English word, people won't understand you. Okay, perfect. We are going close to the end of the episode. Mm-hmm. And I have um, the first question is, how would you convince someone who has not yet participated in the podcast to come here and attend this? I have never been very much into podcasts, I have to say. I do tend, as we talked earlier, how do I get my uh, information? I tend to read or watch videos, but just having you explain what you're going to be doing, having the questions, I suddenly realized that I could be listening to a podcast while I'm doing my dishes at home. So I would, because it's it's oral, I could be listening to that while I'm doing something else that is mind-numbingly boring, like doing the dishes. I could still be learning mm-hmm. um, through a podcast. And after this, I'm going to listen to start listening to more podcasts. Okay, perfect. In fact, this uh, relates to the question that the last interviewee uh, 
launch it for you. That is, how do you consume information, not for entertainment, but to learn or, or to get more information? Do you prefer written form that you list, like books or posts or articles, audio information that you can listen, like radio or podcast, or video information that you can watch, like television, documentaries, or YouTube? Uh, yeah, I realize I kind of started answering your quest, your previous question in, yeah. in the wrong order. How do I get my information? My information is mostly visual. I either read mm-hmm. books or manuals or I watch videos. Uh, YouTube is an excellent source of um, way of getting information. I use it a lot. I use it a lot for my teaching, I think, uh, because people broadcast a lot of things. They tell you this new method or that new method or how you could do this. And uh, something will come up that the first time I read about a flipped classroom, I'm going, what is that? Because because I work in my own, I'm not kept up to date. Whereas if you work in a school or an academy, they're always up to date, but I work on my own. And suddenly I read about this flipped classroom. What is a flipped classroom? I have no one to ask. So I go on to YouTube, what's a flipped classroom? And then you find out. So mm-hmm. I do read a lot. Uh, I read and I I watch videos a lot. I use YouTube a lot for that. But now, now I will start listening more to podcasts mm-hmm. because they're everywhere. Mm-hmm. Um, Toastmasters have a lot of pod- podcasts uh, free. So when you, when you click on the link, you can hear a podcast that will be particularly about Toastmasters, but everybody does pod- podcasts now. So I'm going to start listening more to them. Okay, perfect. And to keep the tradition, uh, could you launch a question for the next guest that we will have in this program? Yeah. How much value do you perceive to your working life in the effort of climbing up the Toastmaster ladder. Okay, we will have this question answered by the person interviewed in in the next episode. Uh, Finally, for the people that would like to know more about you or maybe that are interested in business, English, how they can contact you? Either on WhatsApp through Mm -hmm. my telephone number, which is 639-603. 509. Okay, perfect. Or uh, my teaching email address, which is teaching aroba sjm hyphen va dot com. You want to improve your business English or to know more about the Toastmaster experience? Sheila is the person <laughs> to go. Probably if our timekeeper, if we had to timekeeper at this program, they would complain because every episode we go farther away about uh, uh, 30 minutes. But uh, thank you very much, Sheila. It has been a pleasure to have this conversation. I know you for like nine years and uh, I learn a lot of new things that you can share with me and probably that will be useful for the other members and not members and just 
to close that. If you are not yet a Toastmaster member and you are interested in improving, just come, come to a meeting, come as a guest. It's free and it's the best way to understand how you can learn to speak in public without teachers, without pressure, and with good colleagues. And if you liked this podcast and you think it can be of inspiration for someone, help us to spread it. And of course, in the purest Toastmaster spirit, we invite you to share with us any comments or constructive feedback that will help us improve the way we do it. Hear from us in the next episode. Bye, Sheila. Bye, Joanne, and thank you.